So, did everyone hunt for treasure from a bunny this morning? Get your exercise in? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> well, supposedly, I don't know, some of you heard there's, there's a magic bunny that goes around, hides eggs for kids, and, and I do hope that you guys are all smart enough to realize the truth by now, that uh, bunnies are vegetarians and mammals, so they don't have anything to do with eggs. If, the, if anybody's leaving eggs in your yard, it's a chicken. Or a, or a bird, some sort of bird. I've seen what Easter bunnies leave in my flower bed. And they're the size of M&M's, but you don't want to eat them. So I'd avoid that kind of stuff. By the way, do you know what the Easter bunny gets for every basket? Two points. Okay, that's enough. The, the real Easter has nothing to do with eggs, has nothing to do with bunnies or baby chickens, all those kinds of... Actually, all those kinds of traditions actually stem back to pagan practices. You know, back when... Easter, the name Easter, came out of Ashtar, and this is, you know, hundreds of years ago when the Catholic Church was trying to redeem some of those old pagan holidays like All Hallows' Eve, and um, they've turned it into Halloween and Ashtar into Easter. So we've, we've tried to steal some of those old pagan rituals and turn them into better holidays. But uh, a lot of those traditions actually stem back to, to pagan stuff. And these days, you know, there's not there are still people who practice witchcraft and paganry and that kind of stuff, but most of the time, we just turn it into, like today, it's just it's like a day of candy and games and, and spiral cut ham and getting together with family. I mean, for the, a lot of people, that's all Easter is. It's just, a, just another day to, to get together and have some food and play some games and stuff like that. But I hope that, uh, I hope you guys aren't a bunch of eggheads. I hope that you realize that today, that the reason that we're here today is so much more special and so much more holy than any of that stuff, than any of those traditions that we do. You know, people like to put on pastels and take family pictures. It's a night, you know, we look for the flowers to start blooming this time of year and everything to be turning green. And, uh, and there's something that goes so much deeper than any of the typical stuff that you think about on Easter, that a lot of people think about on Easter. Last week, I promised to tell you what happened on the Sunday after the crucifixion. I don't know if anybody's read ahead, but last we left Jesus, he was dead on the cross. They had buried him in the ground, and it was kind of a sad ending. And we talked about, last week, we talked about how Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Remember, he got on the donkey, and people were throwing down their cloaks and, and palm, waving palm branches and shouting, Hosanna, and, and how that, was, that event was prophesied down to the day, you know, a half a century before Jesus was born, that event of Jesus walking into Jerusalem, riding into Jerusalem, was prophesied down to the day. And there's so many other specifics that are detailed about Jesus' prophecy, specifics about how he would suffer and how he would die. You know, not to mention you know how he would be born and where he would be born and all those other. There's so many things that were foretold about Jesus, and especially as you know, as, as we looked in the Gospels how so much of the Gospels are dedicated to this last week of Jesus' life, to the last, you know, that last trip to Jerusalem, those last days of preaching, that, that crucifixion, how so much um, of the Gospels is committed just to that part of his, of his life and His death. And of course, Jesus Himself told the disciples as they're going to Jerusalem that last time, he said exactly what was going to happen to him. He said, I'm going to be handed over to the Gentiles. I'm going to be beaten. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to die. And three days later, I'm going to come back. But they missed that. It's like they, they heard him say it, but they totally missed the importance of what he was saying. And at first, you know, they got it later. 
But uh, so Jesus died, and it was awful. Psalm 22 is a prophetic um, description of what Jesus endured. You know, we all know Psalm 23: "The Lord is my shepherd; I shall not want." Everybody knows that one. Psalm 22 is almost the opposite attitude of that. You get a picture of what Jesus agonized and suffered on the cross as you go through Psalm 22. But there's lots of other prophecy about what Jesus endured, what He went through. Isaiah chapter 50, verse 6 says, I offered my back to those who attacked, my jaws to those who tore out my beard. I did not hide my face from insults and spitting. I mean, so these are just some of the little details that Jesus went through on that night before He died. He was beaten beyond recognition. In Isaiah 52, at verse 13, it says, Look, My servant will succeed. He will be elevated, lifted high, and greatly exalted. But just as many were horrified by the sight of you, he was so disfigured that he no longer looked like a man. His form was so marred, he no longer looked human. So now he will startle many nations. Kings will be shocked by his exaltation, for they will will witness something unannounced to them, and they will understand something they had not heard about him. Have you ever wondered... You, you guys know the story of the, the walk to Emmaus after Jesus died and resurrected. These, these disciples are go, on their way to Emmaus and all of a sudden Jesus shows up and He's walking with them, but they don't recognize Him. And the Scripture says that it was His identity was kept hidden from them. But you ever wonder why? I mean, it's Jesus. They'd seen Him before. They'd talked to Him. They'd eaten with Him. They'd hung out. They, they knew this man. Why didn't they recognize Jesus? They walked this whole route, you know, hours walk into Emmaus. And then it wasn't until the end when he broke the bread and said and gave thanks that they recognized him. Well, I think that Jesus is probably the only person in heaven who will have scars. I don't know if you remember, remember being a kid, especially boys. When I was a kid, we used to love to show off our scars. You know, you'd get gashed or cut up. You'd fall off your bike and get torn up. or We'd get in rock fights all the time. I don't know. I hear about how violent Video games are bad for kids these days. We didn't have violent video games. We just had violence when I was a kid. We'd throw rocks and get in stick fights and whatever and come home all... My mom loved it when i come home all cut up and scraped and whatever and she'd have to dress my wounds. But we'd show them off the next day at school. You know, we might have been crying when we got them, but the next day we're like, look at this. I, you know, I've got my scars and I've got my scabs. And, and Jesus, His scars... The, the, the nail prints in his hands and his feet and the spear mark in his side are proof of the most courageous act that has ever happened, that will ever happen. That his scars are, are demonstrate what he went through to gain his victory. And, and it talks about in the, in the prophecy how he was beaten beyond recognition, that you couldn't recognize him as a man, that his beard was torn from his face. He was, he was when they put the crown of thorns on his face it says they took a stick and they beat that crown of thorns into his head and they beat his face and of course we talked about how his his back was just torn to shreds by the roman whip i mean it's like bleeding pieces of flesh and, and you could see the muscle i mean everything is he's just you couldn't recognize him anymore and so he came back from the dead and I wouldn't be surprised if he was miss, still missing his, his, you know, the beard had been torn out of his face. Of course, he didn't look as ghastly as he did when they buried him because he's resurrected now. But I wonder if he looked like a whole new person and that's why they didn't recognize him at first. That, that here comes this new man and the only one in heaven, I don't, you know, that doesn't talk about him having scars in heaven, but I would guess that he still has those badges of courage 
of Jesus' acts of, of kindness to us. And, uh, and so Jesus died. A horrible death. A ghastly death. A, a horrendous, painful, nasty death. And Joseph of Arimathea says he was one of his secret disciples. One of his disciples who didn't want to let himself know because he was part of the, the council of the Jewish leaders. He was part of those people that wanted to kill Jesus. He, he didn't support that, but he was part of that group. And so he was keeping his faith a secret from all those other people. So Joseph of Arimathea shows up to Pilate after Jesus has died. This is still on the, on the night before sundown. This is still the day he was crucified because the next day was the Sabbath. So any work that was going to be done, they'd have to take the bodies down and take care of the bodies before sundown. So Joseph, right after Jesus died, Jesus died about 3 p.m. it says, there was darkness from noon to 3 and at the end of that time at 3 o'clock is when Jesus cried out his last and said, Father, unto your hands I commit my spirit. And then he died. And Joseph went to Pilate and he said, I'd like to claim the body. Which was probably a real surprise to Pilate. First of all, that, that they were dead already. But second of all, that here comes one of the council members who wanted, who wanted to crucify him in the first place, asking for his body. And Pilate is probably saying, what do you want with this body? He says, well, I've, I've, I want to bury it. I want to take care of him. You know, he was special to me. I was, you know, maybe a secret. I don't know if he revealed whether he was a secret follower, but he said, I want to honor this dead man. I've got a sepulchral, I've, I've, I've carved out a tomb. It's a brand new tomb, never been used. And I want to lay my Lord's body in, in my tomb. And Pilate probably said, you mean to tell me that this guy who everybody was saying was a criminal, that you've carved out of the rock you know they didn't just dig a hole they carved a tomb out of the rock he said you've got this brand new sepulcher you've carved out of the rock never been used it's for your family and you're going to give it up for this criminal and joseph said oy vey it's just for the weekend so in preparation they took the the Pilate said yes you can have the body so he took jesus body and they wrapped it up. They, they prepared it. They had 100 pounds of spices. So they had myrrh and things that would smell good to, you know, because bodies don't smell very good when they're buried. So they, they, and they learned some of these practices from the Egyptians hundreds of years before when they were still slaves in Egypt. They didn't, the, the Jews didn't like, you know, the Egyptians pulled out the organs and the brains and all that stuff. But, but the Jews, they just wrapped the whole body, wrapped the spices in there. So it was kind of, you know, mummified, sort of. And got the body prepared in fine linen, real fancy cloth, because Joseph was a rich man. He's a very rich man. So he did the best. He had lots of good spices. He wrapped them up in fine linen and laid the body in the tomb. And, and something really interesting, they, they got the body all buried. They, you know, they had, usually they had like a, a level area carved out of the rock, like a bed where they would lay the body. And they probably had several of these for the, you know, for the whole family. But they laid Jesus in the tomb, they rolled the rock in front of the, the door, and they and it's real interesting where Jesus was buried. You know, he was buried. The Bible says right next to where he was killed, the, that hill called Golgotha, which means the skull. So I don't know if it looked like a skull or it was just because it was where people died, but it was right there where the the tomb was carved out of that same hill, out of the rock of that hill. So um, the Bible talks about how Jesus in Isaiah 53, 9, it, it prophesied where Jesus would be buried. He says, His grave was assigned with wicked men, yet He was with a rich man in His death. So His grave was right there where the, they killed all the criminals on the hill, but it was 
in a rich man's tomb. So another fulfillment of prophecy. You know, these are things that nobody could have controlled. It's just that God said, well, God could control it. He said, this is what's going to happen, and that's exactly what happened. And in fact, uh, the garden tomb where, where many people, you know, they've gone and done archaeological digs and they've found a tomb where people think that this is, they, you know, they found the tomb where Jesus was buried and they call it the garden tomb. And you can go to Jerusalem and you can visit it. But they think that that was where he was laid. It was part of, the, of Golgotha, cut into the stone. And, and it was, you know, it was you know, probably thought of, you, know, you wouldn't think of it as a, as a nice place, but because it was cut out of stone, it was a clean, ceremonially clean. Nobody had ever been buried there before. And that was kind of another important part of the prophecy because whenever you had the sacrifice, you know, Jesus became that final sacrifice. Whenever you had the sacrifices, you had to take the, the ashes and the, or if you certain sacrifices, you took other remains and you buried them out in a clean part outside of the camp, you know, outside of town. And that's where Golgotha was, outside of town in a clean place. So this tomb was a clean place, never been used before. So that's another part of fulfillment of prophecy of, of how Jesus was born. So just so many interesting tie-ins with Old Testament prophecy about what happened to Jesus. And, uh, the, and that, at, right up, he, he buried the body, and then sundown came. And as we talked about last week, sundown was the beginning of a new day. So the new day would be the, the first day of the of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is a week-long feast, a week-long celebration of unleavened bread, which marks, you know, another celebration that marks their escape from Egypt because God said, don't put any leaven, yeast, in your bread because you won't have time for it to rise because you're going to be marching out of the Egyptian slavery. So you just prepare flat bread. And so the, later on, the Jews celebrated a whole week where they didn't eat any yeast in their bread. And they had this, this special ceremonial celebration that lasted for a week. And so that next, at sundown, after Jesus was buried, began the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And the next day, it, it, you know, that first day was a, a Sabbath. Usually a Sabbath is always on a Saturday, but this day, it doesn't matter where it falls, the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread is a high Sabbath. So, you know, it could be a Wednesday, Thursday. When we looked at our, our calendar the other week, that was probably a Friday. We think, I think Jesus was actually killed on a Thursday and then he was the next day was a Friday, which was a high Sabbath, and uh, and so the Jewish leaders that even though it was a Sabbath and you're not supposed to work and you're not supposed to, the Jewish leaders thought that well let's go visit this Greek this this Gentile instead of you know honoring the day and keeping it holy we're going to go visit this Gentile and make sure that he seals the tomb so that nobody steals the body Je- Jesus um, was buried in the tomb and they and they closed it but the Jewish leaders. They knew, they weren't ignorant of what Jesus claimed. They weren't ignorant, you know, he said that he would die and three days later he'd be risen. And, so, and they knew that. They, they, they closed their eyes to the truth of his divinity, but they knew his claims. The Jewish leaders did. They knew exactly what Jesus was talking about. So it wasn't for lack of information that they denied who Jesus was. It was because they purposely chose to push that authority out of their, their minds. So, um, they asked for a guard. They said, we want to seal the tomb. We want you to place a guard. So they went to Pilate and they said, place a guard. I don't know if Pilate was... It's really weird to think about what Pilate... You know, the, like the, what he wrote above the cross and things like that. But after seeing all these wild things happen, after seeing the events that happened on, on the crucifixion day 
when the sky turned dark and there were earthquakes and there were people rising from their graves and all these crazy things happening when Jesus died. You know, it makes you wonder if Pilate started to think because the Jewish leaders go to Pilate and they say, we want you to seal the tomb and make sure that nobody messes with it. And Pilate's answer says, he says, take a guard of soldiers and go and make it as secure as you can. Isn't that interesting? I mean, I don't know what was going on in Pilate's head, I don't, but you know, who knows if, you know, it makes you wonder if he knew more than he was letting on. You know, you guys go ahead and try to seal it as good as you can. Um, so anyway, three days later, Jesus is in the tomb, three days and three nights, just like Jesus said, I'm going to be in the day, just like Jonah was in the belly of the whale three days and three nights. I'll be in the earth three days and three nights. So three days and three nights later, there's uh, an earthquake, huge earthquake, the Bible says. The locals in Jerusalem are probably starting to feel pretty frazzled because they had all these earthquakes on, Friday, on, uh, on the crucifixion day and the darkness and, and you know, I don't know how many people, the Bible says people were coming out of their graves. I don't know how many, but could you imagine your dead relative coming back home and saying, hey, what's going on? And you've got earthquakes and darkness and crazy things happening. You probably think it's the end of the world. So people are probably getting frazzled, but there's this big earthquake and the priests are doing everything they can to deny, 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 deny. You know, in spite of all the truth happening around them, when Jesus died, it says in the temple, between the holy place and the most holy place, there's a curtain that divides it because nobody's allowed to go back there except for one day a year. One priest goes back there and, and completes the ceremony and, they, and they're so worried about him, he has to do everything perfectly because if you don't do it perfectly, you're dead. And they would tie a rope to his leg in case he messed up and he dropped down dead for not honoring the Lord so they could pull him back out there because nobody else could go in there. And on the day Jesus died, the, the curtain that separates those was torn straight down the middle from top to bottom. And that's another thing that the Jewish leaders are like, I, I don't know, just coincidence, crazy. How could that happen? And it's just it's like this purposeful denial. They've got all these facts around them saying, this is the Messiah. And they're ignoring it, blatantly ignoring it. So um, anyway, early Sunday morning, an angel comes and, and rolls away the stone and that's where this earthquake happens. And, and then the angel sits there and the soldiers, remember Pilate sent soldiers to guard it, these big, tough, professional Roman killers shook with fear, probably wet their tunics and basically passed out from fright. The Bible says they, were, they fell down like they were dead. They were so scared. And once the guards had regained some composure... You know, after this whole event took place, they scampered off and they found the Jewish leaders that they were working for because Pilate gave them to the leaders. They found the leaders and they told them what happened. And once again, the leaders are presented with this miracle. You know, they're, they're told, the soldiers are saying, this angel came and we were scared to death and the guy came out of the tomb. And, 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 and instead of saying, this is God, this is the Son of, this is the Messiah, we have got to uh, repent. We have got to change our lives. We were wrong this whole time. Instead of doing that, they again, they are purposely, purposely denying the miraculous fulfillment of prophecy, denying the reality of their reports from the guards. They would rather willingly ignore the truth right in front of them than to submit to God's authority because they had the power. They had the prestige. They were the ones in charge. They were the ones on top. And they liked to be able to control everybody else. And they liked to be able to control their own lives. And they liked to say, I'm the one in charge. I get to decide who's, you know, what the rules are for me. You know, whatever you say is fine, but I get to decide 
who's in charge of me and I'm in charge of me and I'm and and so in spite of all this information and you know really that's a that's the same problem with a lot of people down through the ages from those Jewish leaders to us the main problem with with the world today is is there's so many people that say I'm going to deny the proof of what God has put around me I'm going to deny the reality of his creation I'm going to deny the reality of, of Him because this stuff couldn't exist without Him. I'm going to deny, deny the reality of God all around me and live my own life according to my own will and my own purposes because I don't want to have to admit that I'm not God. And therefore, I'm just going to live my own way and ignore God. And, and you know, because, you know, you talk about evidence, there's more than enough evidence to prove the resurrection of Jesus. Not just that Jesus was alive. I mean, that's beyond doubt. That Jesus was a real person and alive, but that He died and came back from the dead. There are over 500 eyewitnesses who were still alive at the time of the writing of the Gospels who could have discounted it. I mean, there was tons of people who saw Jesus and talked with Jesus and ate with Jesus. I mean, it's, it's stupid to deny that Jesus came back from the dead. But people do it anyway, not because there's not enough evidence, but because they don't want to have a God. Because they don't want to have to submit to the authority of a God. People steeped in sin know that to admit the truth would be to confess their guilt. And nobody, you know, you can catch people in the act and people don't want to confess the guy. I've, I've caught, you know, my youth group kids and my own kids and were you doing this? No. I saw you do it. Were you doing this? No. I mean, it's people. That's, people do that. They deny, 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 even if they're caught in the act. They go to court and nobody says they're guilty unless they can get a good deal out of it. You know, it's, it's crazy, but that's just, you know, so many people do. And, and the irony of that is that the first step in knowing God's grace, the first step to redemption, the first step to being made righteous and holy and clean is to admit your guilt. You can't be made clean if you don't admit your guilt. You, you know what are you cleaned of? Hi Jesus, I'm perfect. Can you make me more perfect? No, you got to go to him and say, I, I screwed up royally, God, and I'm sorry, and I need to change, and I need your help. And and you can't start unless you start with honesty. And so, to realize that Jesus died to atone for sin, you have to admit that you you deserve what you. You know, you deserve the punishment of God. You deserve His wrath rather than His righteousness. But Jesus died. And then not only did He die, but then He rose from the grave to a new life. And, and that new life He's going to give to everybody who's willing to repent and believe. In, in 1 Corinthians, our Scripture for the day, it says, Now I want to make clear for you, brothers and sisters, the Gospel, that's good news. Gospel means good news. The good news that I preach to you, that you received and on which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold firmly to the message I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, for I passed on to you as, as, as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. All this stuff was foretold in prophecy. And that He appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the twelve, and then he appeared to more than five hundred of the brothers and sisters at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles, apostles, and last of all, as though to the one born at the wrong time, he appeared to me also. Paul's writing this. 
for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and His grace to me has not been in vain. In fact, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Whether it was they or I, this is the way we preach, and this is the way you believe. That's what we, we don't just believe that somebody died for us. Anybody can die. But what makes it a miracle, what makes the good news so good, is that the grave could not hold Jesus. Death could not hold the Messiah. Trying to hold Jesus in a tomb is like trying to put the sun in a paper bag. You just you cannot keep the Son of God contained by death. He was not made for that. He was not purposed for that. He was purposed to find victory over death, to find victory over Hades. And that's exactly what he did. And that's why faith in Jesus is such a joyful, victorious, amazing thing. It isn't just that you know Jesus died so we get hell insurance. No, it's that Jesus died and came back to life to lead us into eternal life. To lead us into... If, if, if you don't know what life is all about if you don't know Jesus. In the next, uh, in verse 12, Paul continues, Now if Christ is being preached as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection from the dead? He's saying Jesus was resurrected because He wants us to be resurrected. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is futile and your faith is empty. Also, if we're found to be false witnesses about God because of what we testified against God, that, that He raised Christ from the dead, when in reality He did not raise Him, if, he, if indeed the dead are not raised, for if the dead are not raised, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is useless and you're still in your sins. Furthermore, those who have fallen asleep in Christ have also perished. For if only in this life we have hope in Christ, we should be pitied more than anyone else. Jesus dying isn't just about this life. This is where it starts. This is the beginning. This is our probationary period. Jesus' life is about showing us true life, about living for eternity. If, if it weren't for the resurrection, our faith would be pointless. What, we'd be, what we're living for is pointless. We're living for eternity but our hope is built on nothing less than the fact that Jesus is alive. That He came back from the dead. That He conquered the grave. He's alive right now. He's going to be alive forever. And because He's alive, all who put their trust in Him will also be alive now and forever. Just like Jesus. The grave cannot contain a true child of the King any more than it contained the King. Contain the King. That's why we belong to... If you, if you belong to Him, you're alive. You're alive in Christ. Jesus is the first fruits of salvation. That's another one of those Old Testament, the, the, the rules of, of ceremony. There was a, a first fruits that came on the Nisan, was it 17, 14, 15, 16, 18. Nisan 18 on the Jewish calendar was the day when you would wave the, the first fruits, the sheaf offering. And that's the day Jesus came back to life. And it says. But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So Jesus came back as our first fruits, as our example, as our leader, as the one we connect ourselves to, because He came back to life. And just like He came back to life, we're all going to follow Him. Everybody who believes in Him is going to follow Him. You've been called to something great. I don't know if you realize that. Jesus loved us so much that He sacrificed everything to win our hearts. Not just to forgive us, but to win us over so that we would belong to Him. So that we would be the benefactors 
of His victory, of all the work that He did that we get to gain what He did. So, so where is your victory? Are you living in victory? Do you feel like you're living in victory? I mean, you know your life. You know your life better than anybody. Is it a victorious life? Is, is, where's your treasure? Is your treasure Jesus Christ or is your treasure what the world can offer? Because anything the world can offer is going to disappear. I mean, it might be a year, might be less, might be more. might be 50 years. Who knows how long you're going to live? Your treasure is all going to be gone if it's earthly treasure. Your treasure needs to be in heaven if you want any lasting treasure. Where's your, where's your heart? Does your heart belong to God? Is your heart alive? Is your heart on fire? Do you feel it within you? Do you know God? Are you victorious? Are you, living, uh, are, you, are you a living sacrifice? Like Jesus said, are you living to say nothing in this world matters as much as what I'm going for? So I'm willing to lose it all. I bet it all on Jesus, on serving the Lord. Jesus, you know, when, when, when the, we talked about when, before Jesus died, how Mary broke open that nard that was worth a year's wages and she dumped it on his head. And, she, and, and Judas said, why are you wasting that? We could have sold that for 300 pieces of silver. We could have given the money to the poor. Why are you wasting it? You should be wasted. You should be wasting your life on Jesus Christ. You should be throwing everything away to serve Him, to reach out to others who need Him, to give, just like Jesus, give everything you have to serve God because in the end, He pays it back more than you can imagine. In eternity, an eternal life of richness of God's glory, of the rewards of living for Jesus. Are you living your life for Him? Is your life one of victory over sin? Have you conquered the things that have held you back in the past? Can you look back and see how your life is continually growing and getting better and better in serving the Lord and you're leaving behind all that old garbage that used to weigh you down and make you a slave to your own sin? Are you still a slave or are you living in victory? Where are you? Are you, are you producing spiritual fruit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness. You know, are, are, you, are you living out what the Bible talks about as a spiritual fruit producer, as a victorious Christian, as more than a conqueror? Do you want to? Do you want to have that life? Do you want to be victorious? You can. You've got to grab a hold of that nail-scarred hand. The one who first gave us victory over sin and over death. If you, if you grab a hold of the Savior's hand and you say, from this point on, I'm leaving myself behind and I'm going to follow you, God. Whatever you want, wherever you tell me to go, whatever you tell me to say, that's exactly what I'm going to do. You, you commit to God and you say, from this point forward, I'm going to follow you, you'll find out what kind of an amazing ride life can be. What kind of an amazing experience. Even in this world where we still are, are plagued by all the things we're plagued by in this world, you can still have an amazing life even now that continues on and gets even better as you head into eternity. Do you want that? Grab a hold of the nail-scarred hand of Jesus who died for you and then came back from the dead to show you how you can also come back from the dead and live in eternal victory with Jesus. Would you like that? Let's pray. Lord, we're so grateful that You did all that for us. That You gave up everything that You had, even Your own life, so that we could find victory over the grave. You did all the work. You still do all the work. We just tag along for the ride, God. We're so grateful for what You've done and for what You do. And we pray that You would help us. 
Help us to take that first step of faith so that we would commit our lives to You and realize what a waste living for this world is and how nothing in this life really ultimately pays off at all. But that everything that You're offering enriches our lives and makes it better and and that we get that spiritual fruit, we get that peace and we get that joy that no matter what the world throws at us, we can have joy and we can have peace through it all and we can know victory and we can know courage and we can know true living because we're connected to You. I pray if there's anybody here who doesn't understand that, that You would reveal Yourself to them. And I pray that for the rest of us, You would help us to continue to walk forward in Your victory, in Your hope, reaching out to others who still need it, reaching out to others who are still lost, and doing everything we can to serve You and to build Your kingdom and to make You happy. Thank You, Jesus. In Your name we pray. Amen.